Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Saw Something Scary again. We figured there are lots of you going out to see Dr. Sleep this weekend, and while we're planning to release our review of that movie next week, we thought there might be some of you who want a refresher on The Shining, since Dr. Sleep is a sequel to The Shining, both in the novel form and film. So we decided we'd pull our Shining episode review out of the archives and drop it in your podcast app because you know we love to surf. So here's our review of The Shining. We hope you guys have a good weekend, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time on Saw Something Scary. So, can I tell you that there's a little intimidation on my part talking about The Shining? Yeah. I mean, this is not just one of the greatest horror movies ever. It's one of the greatest movies ever. I agree. And Stanley Kubrick is well regarded as a genius. Mm -hmm. And Jack Nicholson's in this one. And there's just a lot here that, in some ways, I kind of feel like, what else is there to say about the movie? And we just lost Shelley Duvall. Oh, did we really? Yeah. No, rest in peace, Shelley. Yeah. I'll tell you. I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm surprised she didn't die from how powerful Jack Nicholson's performance opposite of her was. Right. Um, So the only thing I know to do is just talk about this movie as I watched it. And I'll start with this. This is my first note. (laughs) No, I'm completely wrong. Shelley Duvall didn't die. Hey, way to go, Shelley Duvall. Good job not being dead. We're glad we're not uh, telling you rest in peace. Who am I thinking of then? Um, Robert Duvall? I'm thinking of Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder. That's mm. what it was. Margot Kidder. And I'm not a fan of her work, but I think she would have been better than Shelley in this movie. Yeah, Margot Kidder is who I was thinking of. And you never, ever say that about Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall's immortal. He'll live forever. I love some Robert Duvall as well, my friend. But, uh, Did you ever see The Judge? Oh, yeah, I saw The Judge. Oh! Uh, yeah. What was the country music movie that he was in a few years ago with uh, Jeff Bridges? Um... Crazy Heart. Crazy Heart, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I want to go to Robert Duvall's bar and just sit there and talk to him in that movie. <laughs> he seems like the perfect, like, you know, barkeep psychotherapist and hey, counselor. Can you believe Crazy Heart came out 10 years ago? Did I say a couple years ago? Yeah. Hey, just listeners, here's your first indication. Jeff's old. Unreal. For real. I wouldn't have thought that either. I would have thought five years ago, not 10 Oh, my goodness. That's the one that won Bridges' Oscar. Oh, yeah. Well-deserved. Oh, yeah. 100%. My goodness. All right. Anyway. So, we're talking about The Shining. We're we're talking about The Shining. Shelley Duvall, not dead. My apologies, Miss Duvall. We're thankful, Shelley. Man, I was on on a good roll until I mistakenly said someone was dead. The point just got blunted. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, Kubrick's this incredible filmmaker. And watching this movie again, I've seen it probably four or five times. I had forgotten how lush that opening shot is where you're tracking the Volkswagen as it winds through those, I guess, Colorado uh, mountain pass roads. Those Rocky Mountain highs. There you go, John Denver. John, John Denver's dead. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's leave it alone. Rest in peace, John. <laughs> Uh, I noticed that not only is the scenery lush and beautiful, but it sets you up for sort of this idea that big things are coming because you're seeing these ginormous mountain landscapes and these, you know, huge like river basins and things like that. Like it looks significant from the very beginning of the shot. But then Kubrick laid over this really surreal music, which made you, I don't know, it it, it was off-putting and it made you think like, yeah, big things are coming, but I'm already uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that tripped me out is as I'm watching this aerial shot following this bug around, I'm like, that's not a drone. They had to hire 
I guess a helicopter. Yeah. For that, and I don't know to to be in 2019, you basically just have a GPS enabled drone track you. But I'm assuming they were flying around the Rocky Mountains with a with a helicopter, which is it's kind of trippy to think about that. Yeah. The the links they went to get that opening shot. Yeah. You know that's funny that you said that. <clears throat> uh, I was listening to another podcast where they were talking about um, they were talking about a shot that they did where uh, they had to use like a helicopter to film the shot and. Uh, the co-host of the show said, isn't it crazy that that probably cost you $50,000? And the guy said, yeah, it cost us about fifty dollars to $75,000 to make that, to shoot that shot. He said, now you go to Best Buy and get a drone for $400 and do the exact same thing. Like, it's just crazy to see how far we've come. Because people, you know, when you when you really think about it, like, when was The Shining out? In the 70s? So that was 40 years ago? Actually, it's 83. 83. Okay, so not it even. It feels like a 70s movie, but I think it's just because it's right on the cusp. Yeah. So we're, we're 30, what? six years removed from that, uh, that's not a long time. That's in our lifetimes, right? Like, uh, you're uh, you're 34, and I'm 33, so, it, you know, that's, that's within our age gaps. It's crazy to me to think that that's, you know, just to see how far we've come in our lifetime. Yeah, and, you know, it, in 83, you probably have to be Stanley Kubrick to get whoever's financing your movie to say, yeah, we'll rent you a helicopter and whatever camera mount you need. Sure. Uh, today, independent and filmmakers can do what you said, go to Radio Shack or whatever exists after Radio Shack collapsed. Yeah. And kind of replicate the thing he did. Yeah. For uh for much cheaper. So yeah. what's what's crazy even crazier about that is is that the shot that they were talking about, uh the podcast I was listening to was in like ninety eight. So you're oh. talking twenty, twenty one years ago. Gotcha. So I mean, you know, see how far you've come from Stanley Kubrick in eighty three to nineteen ninety eight, fifteen years, and then see how far you've come in the twenty one sure. since that. It's technology, man. It's crazy. The future's gonna be great. Yeah. I'm still waiting for my hover shoes and stuff. Uh, yeah, our flying cars are coming. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what the Jetsons promised me. I'm still waiting. That's why Elon Musk is smoking all that weed now, unlocking his brain potential. Well, he does. He did. He did make a car fly. I think there's a Tesla in orbit right now. See? Right? Yep. Hey, here's the problem with this movie. Okay. Not enough Jack Nicholson. Well, I think we have actually talked about this before. Whoa, 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 been a minute. I'm glad you did that. The union rep is not someone I want to hear from again. Man, when we make this announcement at the end of the show, Wahlberg's gonna work. He's gonna want more money. Well, don't let him hear. Okay. Um, can can we get him to like clean the cage or something? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I don't see why not. Okay. Yeah. Um, the problem with this movie is that it's supposed to document the slow descent into madness experienced by Jack Torrance. Right. And then the suffering that inflicts upon his family, right? Right. The first three minutes in, Jack Nicholson looks like he's on the cliff of going crazy. Yes. I'm I'm currently trying to finish reading the book. Okay. And I'm like halfway through. So, um, spoiler for the book. I don't think this is going to be any ruinous thing. Hemingway! <laughs> Hemingway is still too drunk to get up and come say <laughs> anything. Um... There's there's this scene where the Wendy and his son Danny have went off to like go see a doctor or whatever. <laughs> Remind me to tell you a story about Hemingway off off air. Okay, yeah, Dude, this is hot 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 gossip right here. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's from my show about Hemingway. Okay, That's, yeah. Well, so in the book, uh, Wendy and Danny have gone off to like the nearest town to get medical care. Like nobody's in danger. They're just before the big snow comes, they're like getting the doctor to look the kid over and stuff, getting ready for the big winter. Jack's back up at the overlook and he's trimming the hedge animals 
and he realizes they have shifted, like they're moving. So I'm just like right there. Okay. Uh, things are just starting to kind of go sideways. Um, you feel it in the book much more that this is a guy who's got demons, mm-hmm. but he's worked really hard to get them kind of stuffed into the closet. He's trying to make the best of this second chance he's been given because things didn't work out in his previous employment. And... You, you just get to see how hard he's trying to be a good husband and a good dad. And so, like, you're just constantly going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I get none of that when I watch this movie because I'm like, this guy is mentally fragile. I expect him to do something crazy, you know, the first three minutes I meet him. Okay, but do you think that that's just Nicholson's resting jack face? Because he always seems like he's either made a deal with the devil or he's just upset with the world. Like, those are his two main defaults. Well, I did notice that Kubrick does this with a lot of the actors, but with Jack, it's almost always a real tight shot of his face. Like, you're always right in his face or zooming into it. Mm. But the thing is, even when... When Nicholson is just acting like he's in conversation, if he raises his eyebrows, he looks like the devil. Yeah. There's there's that scene where they're they're driving in, and Wendy's in the passenger seat of the bug, and Danny's leaning up from the back, and they're talking about the Donner Party. Mm-hmm. And Danny says something like, oh, yeah, I know what cannibalism is. I saw it on TV. And Jack lifts his eyebrows and says, see, learned it from TV. And I'm like, that's the scariest thing I'm going to see this whole... Because those eyebrows are just made by God to conjure up images of horned beasts. Yeah. You know? Uh, but I, I still think he has like a manic energy. Yeah. When he sits down in the office with the hotel manager and is, you know, they're like, hey, here's the details of the job that you may not like. And he's clearly trying to say, no, no, I need the job. Anything you throw at me, I'm going to say I'm cool with. He still feels like you know, if the wrong thing said, he's going to flip the table and break a potted plant over somebody's head. Sure. So I, anyway, I mean, it, it's impossible to criticize the casting or the performance. Just compared to the book, you're immediately prepared for this guy to go crazy and start hitting stuff with an axe. Yeah. Um, and, and in that same kind of phase of the movie we're talking about where he's first getting to the Overlook, one thing I noticed, I just thought it was interesting. You remember he's um, he's sitting in the lobby eating a sandwich, reading a magazine, and then the manager comes up. Did you notice what he's reading? Uh, yeah, I can't think of it off the top of my head. He's reading a Playgirl magazine. That's right. <laughs> just sitting in public, yeah. casually looking at some Playgirl while he has a sandwich at a hotel. Is it Playgirl or Playboy? I'm almost certain it's Playgirl. I didn't like freeze framing and look, but I'm pretty sure after play, there's a big G. Huh. And I thought, well, that's curious. It'd be curious enough if it was Playboy. A little bi-curious, matter of fact. Well, in 83, yeah. you know, in public reading uh, male pornography, that's yeah. not what you would expect to see. No, it's definitely not. I've been kind of chatting you up about this, Derek. Any any aspect of this film in the early moments that I haven't raised yet that you want to hear? No, man, you're you're knocking it out of the park right now. Oh, hey, computer made a cameo. Um, well, we mentioned earlier when we tragically thought for a few minutes that she was dead. <laughs> uh, what do you think about Shelley Duvall's performance in this movie? I think that she looks a lot like Margot Kidder, and I can't tell the difference between the two of them. <laughs> do you think it was bad enough that you hoped she was dead? Yeah, it was. It was insanely over the top. She um, she is the horror movie female equivalent. So lots of qualifications here. But she is the female horror movie equivalent of early Luke Skywalker. Ooh. It's just all whine all the time. This, I mean, she is a remarkably strong character mm-hmm. by the time you get to the end of the movie. And she's, you know, fought off ghosts and demons and her husband to save her and her son. But uh, I, I tell you, the, the scene where things are finally shattered between her and her husband, it's actually, for me, the the most chilling scene in the movie. 
she comes downstairs to the room that he has already very aggressively and coarsely told her she cannot come into because it's his workstation. Yeah. And she comes in checking up on him because she's got some suspicions. And she's looking at what he's writing. And it's just all all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And it's just page after page after page. That, to me, is the chill, you know, the oh, heart yeah. of the scare of this movie. And then he comes in and he, let's talk about Danny. And it's Jack Nicholson dialed up to 11. I feel like she gets hit with a tidal wave coming off of him and just washes out to sea. Mm-hmm. I, I hope they shot those scenes at different times. Because, you know, like the way the camera's interacting, you see one of them and then it switches hard to the other one. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we ever see them in the same shot together until she hits him on the stairwell. Yeah. I hope she didn't have to stand in front of that because I imagine that would feel like standing in front of a gale force wind. Yeah. And I just felt like it left her completely out of her league. I'm sorry, Jack. And whatever. What do you mean? What do you do in the face of freaking Jack Nicholson at full wattage? So I felt bad for her, Mm -hmm. but I also don't think she... Basically, I think she's the weak link in this movie. Yeah. You know that Nicholson uh, says that Duvall had the hardest part he's ever seen an actress play. Really? Yeah. He gives her a lot of credit for that. Well, Jack's a good man. Yeah. I didn't pick up on what he was yeah. sensing there. I, I I didn't either. She really is like, okay, I, I think we've talked about this before, but I remember watching A Streetcar Named Desire for the first time and thinking, holy crap, why are they like overacting so much? Mm-hmm. You know, why is she in these hysterics and things like that? And then realizing, oh, that was the sign of the times. That's how that's how they did it back then. Yeah. Right. And of course, most of those actors were theater actors and you got to play the back of the house in theater. So it makes, you know, when you put those parameters on it, it makes more sense. I feel like that just acting in general has matured. Okay. Uh, again, over the last hundred years, you know, because that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about a hundred year gap, which again, in the grand scheme of things, isn't that long. Sure. Particularly not for an art form to develop. Right. Like, you think about how long painting and sculpture has been around. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And so I kind of feel like that Shelley Duvall was probably a product of her time. Gotcha. And that... Jack was like the evolutionary leap. I think so, man. I think... I think Nicholson and like Marlon Brando and people like that were just ahead of the curve and they were just, you know, they were, they, you know, uh, evolution is, is the perfect way to put it. They were what we wanted to be. And I think that we've got, you know, we've, we're accomplished to that now. I don't know if Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando were in, or even James Dean for that matter, if they were in this generation, if they would have stood out as much as they did back then. Gotcha. But they're the pioneers hacking their way through the foliage. They're the guys. That's, you're back to your good points, Derek. That's a good well, good theory. I had to make a rebound after I mistakenly assumed a woman had died, so I had to do something. I think uh, I think that's a perfectly viable theory, considering that Shelley didn't look to be in the best health in 1983. Right. Well, and you know, um, I don't know how much you you've read about this stuff, but the the actors, you know, just from from my. Uh, point of view and stuff that's always the the thing that I enjoy the most is learning about the process and, and all that stuff and Shelly Duvall she, uh, she I guess she lost weight she lost some hair like she went through physical exhaustion and everything so I just don't think she was qualified to handle this role the way that, or maybe even she wasn't even uh, I don't want to say prepared but maybe she wasn't like taught or, she didn't know what she was getting into yeah but she came in unprepared in yeah. sense of like what this is going to demand of me. Yeah. I think if Meryl had this role, she'd have knocked it out of the park. You know, another person who, yeah. So uh, this is later, of course, but Glenn Close. Yeah. Glenn Close seems like she would get back up in Jack's face, which I know that's not the rule, what the role called for, but I think I would have sensed greater strength in Glenn Close's performance. You know, when Jack is locked in the pantry 
and he hears the ghost of the previous caretaker kind of talking to him. Mm-hmm. He says something like, your wife is stronger than we expected or something. I didn't get that sense. It turns out plot-wise for that to be true. Sure. But I think I could have seen it if it had been Meryl, Glenn Close, someone yeah. like that. Yeah. Or she- Francis McDermott. Oh, yeah, one for yeah. sure. Shelley Duvall seems like olive oil. <laughs> yes. That's a, that's absolutely right. Like, that is her archetype. Yeah. And, you know, the note I had for that scene where they're, that we started this discussion on where Jack's backing her up the stairway and she's swinging a bat at him. I wrote that watching that was like watching Jack stomp a puppy to death. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Um, I don't know. If, <clears throat> and and they, ironically, Shelley Duvall did play Olive Oil in the live action Popeye movie with Robin Williams. Perfect casting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's actually what the role called for, and she was perfect. I, I just still felt like I watched someone get bowled over by yeah. a rogue wave. Which I, I mean, it's hard for anyone to act opposite Jack Nicholson and not be a little you know feel like a little bit of of what being fine china when a bull's coming through absolutely but yeah not to continue to beat this dead horse and continue to uh to, to rag on a lady that we previously thought had, had died, but um, yeah, she she just wasn't. She she I don't think she was the right casting choice for this. And and if I'm not mistaken, I think Stanley Kubrick had some second thoughts on it. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I either. could I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure I read somewhere where Kubrick was had a difficult time with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in contrast, the uh, the kid I thought was pretty great. Yeah, <clears throat> and you know that Danny Lloyd came up with the the talking with his finger part. Oh no, I yeah. didn't. So that you know when he talked with his finger, he's got that uh, invisible friend, or I think we're supposed to conclude that it's some product of his, uh, you know, his shining, whatever that is, his... Oh, what is, what is the thing that Jean Grey is? She's telekinetic. It's not telekinetic. It's uh, his psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in the book. But him representing it with a finger is a great mechanism to bring that visually into the into the you know the the conversation. Yeah, that kid was great, and he didn't really work again. He went on, and and I think he said at one point uh, on his IMDb page, I read he said that he wasn't really interested in a film career, and he went on to do other things. Huh. When was the last time you heard a child actor that high? profile a movie or not just choose to walk away but his handlers let him walk away yeah uh, I don't know. He may have missed out on something good there. I'd love to see him get a cameo in the Dr. Sleep movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if Flanagan's thinking that, but I'd love to see that. I'm glad you said Dr. Sleep because I've just I've just gotten to the point where I call it Dr. Poop because it's the only thing I can think of. So, <laughs> Well, it is indeed Dr. Sleep. Now, now I know. Um, yeah, so he so Danny, uh, Danny Lloyd did one other movie after The Shining. And The Shining came out in 1980, by the way, not 83. 80? Oh, my bad. Yeah. Apologies, listeners. Um, so, we, I mean, we're on the cusp of 40. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. And again, even closer to the cliff of the 70s, which is why this feels, I think, like yeah. a 70s movie. Yeah. Uh, he was also in the uh, he was also in the, the movie Will, the autobiography of G. Gordon Liddy. Well. That came out in 1982. Maybe that convinced him this acting thing wasn't for him. <laughs> yeah. I can see how. As can I. Um, I mean, I hope my dad never listens to this because my dad was a huge G. Gordon Liddy fan. Yeah. Sorry, Dad. My, uh, my cousin Shannon posed for one of his calendars. Oh, the like the stacked and packed, stacked and packed ones. Yeah, uh, she was a she was a cover model for one of them. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, 
We've all got to shoot for that big, <laughs> that big moment in our lives, right? That's right. No, uh, no offense, Shannon. Did you did you know that it took them 127 takes to do that uh, baseball bat through the through the door scene? No, I had no idea. Yeah. So we're talking about where she whacks him in the head, or where he chops down the door with a fire axe. Um, the fire axe scene. I'm sorry. Well, I did read that apparently Nicholson had been a volunteer fireman, mm-hmm. and so they put up a gimmicked door, and he like mowed through it like a knife through hot butter. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? How about a hot knife through butter? I, I like the knife through <laughs> hot butter myself. <laughs> um, and they're like, oh, for real, we better go get a real door. So Jack hacked his way through a real door 127 times. I'm pretty sure it's it's one or the other. Let me let me talk about up. a set and prop managers worst nightmare. Buddy. I gotta get another door up in the Colorado mountains? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. Uh, it was the baseball bat scene. I'm sorry. <clears throat> um... I'm surprised those that number of takes didn't kill Shelley. At Stanley Kubrick's instance, insistence, uh, she and Jack Nicholson performed 127 takes of the baseball bat scene in The Shining, which broke a world record, obviously, for the most retakes of a single movie scene with spoken dialogue. No kidding. Duvall said she learned more from working with Kubrick on that film than she did in all her previous films. So I guess I was wrong about Kubrick having second thoughts about Shelley Duvall. Well, maybe he thought she sucked and she was like, oh, you're great. Yeah. I don't know. Could be. I'll tell you this. I don't... I don't know how it all sorted out in his mind, but I can't think of anyone who directs Crazy Person better than Stanley Kubrick. So you've got Jack in this movie. Right. You've got Private Powell in Full Metal Jacket. Right. You've got those sadistic dudes in Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's also nurse. He directed Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest. Right. Yeah. I mean, you talk about like mean. Crazy people. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick is the guy to go to. Yeah. I'd like to see him with like Michael Shannon. Ooh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. get those powers combined. Yeah. Or Kevin Hart. <laughs> yes, or Kevin Hart. That's number two <laughs> on my list for sure. Um well, just a few other notes. Uh when when Jack is hallucinating or he's in the spirit world, depending on what your theory is about the movie, uh and he's in the cock he's in the cocktail party mm-hmm. in that ballroom mm-hmm. and the butler spills a drink on him and takes him into the uh bathroom to clean him up. Did you notice that that bathroom can't fit off that room? That the backside of it is too big to exist in that room? Huh. Um, I think Kubrick does a pretty good job of throwing those things in where you realize something's off, even if it's sort of subconscious. And it adds to the effect of the movie. Yeah. And I learned that in a documentary called Room 237. I feel like we may have mentioned this in a previous uh, episode, but it's basically a documentary that looks at four of the wildest theories about this movie. So one of the theories is that Room 237 is... Basically, Kubrick's apology for filming a fake moon landing that the U.S. government sold to the U.S. citizenry as the actual moon landing. So Kubrick made this movie to confess that surreptitiously. Another person makes the case that it's about uh, westward expansion and what it did to the Native American population. Mm -hmm. But they raise some of these details that, you know, the the conspiracy theorist is saying, oh, this is why this proves my conspiracy theory. But it's a great watch just to learn the details of the movie. Because these guys have combed over it like it's the Subruder film. (coughs) Excuse me. Yeah. And look for every detail. So it's an interesting watch. It's also interesting because I like 
like conspiracy theory stuff. Yeah, I, I love that documentary. Yeah. It's a really good one. It's on Netflix, isn't it? Or it was. I think I may have saw it on Amazon, but it may be it may be Netflix. Yeah. If if it uh, was a long time ago. I know that. Right. That's been out I watched a long I, I read about it in Entertainment Weekly, like the year it came out years and years ago, and I just saw it, I think, last year. Hey, let me put you on the spot, and we haven't talked about this before, so I apologize. Um I'm not even really thought about it either, but um say this movie didn't exist. 1980s, The Shining didn't exist, and Mike Flanagan came out with uh, The Shining, 2019. Dreamcast, who'd you put in it? I know that we've spoken a little bit about this on the We Saw Something Scary Facebook group, but for those of you that aren't in the group or didn't see that post, I want to kind of bring this to the forefront. Well, I'm trying to think about his cast of characters, right? So he would probably cast the lady... You don't even have to make it a Flanagan thing, then. Some... Somebody brings out because I don't want you to have to put those parameters on it. Yeah. I don't want you to have to say like Kate Siegel is going to play uh, Shelley Duvall's character and you know etc. Sure. etc. Et so um, I don't know Christopher Nolan. Well, he's going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You, but you know what I'm saying like some some True big cast. horror director or director in general says you know what we never got a good adaptation of The Shining. We got that god awful Stephen Weber thing back in the 90s. So I want to put something together for right now. Yeah, and he goes Jeff Wright, you are on the most popular and the greatest horror movie podcast of all time. I trust your judgment. Cast the movie. Cast the movie. Well, I want to say for Jack, I'd go Michael Shannon because I love his crazy. Okay. But I think he does the same thing Nicholson does. Like, you're waiting for him to break. So, a guy that we've already mentioned on this movie, I mean, on this episode uh, a couple times, I think I'd like Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Because you would want to believe in Sam. He can play every man and likable, but he can also go somewhere dark. Like we saw in Three Billboards, right? He yeah. kind of did the reverse of that. Yeah. I think as the, uh, the woman standing across from him. The ages are not perfectly aligned, but I mean, you're really getting Jeff Rod's favorite cast here. Also mentioned previously, uh, in the book, Wendy is a couple times alluded to to being a real looker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just to be faithful to the text, and because I love this actress, I would go with Emma Stone. Yeah. I think she could handle... Um, I think she could handle both aspects of like a woman trying to keep it together and a woman who is trying to um, make the best and try to rebuild her marriage and, and family situation. Okay. So again, the age gap's a little off, but I love her work. And then for the kid, I actually think... I mean, this may make people crazy, but I would go. I would. I would flip it to a female character. Okay. And I would cast Lulu Wilson. Okay. Uh, because she seems to really have ridiculous acting chops mm-hmm. as a young actress. In a way that I don't know of another young male actor that I would feel as confident handing the the role to. Okay. So she would be D A N I rather than D A N N Y. Right. And that's how I do it. Okay. What would you do? So, I think I would actually put Kate Siegel as Wendy. Well, if we're going Flanagan verse, mm-hmm. I can't remember her name. Kate Siegel would be number two for me. The the woman who played the mom. Oh, Carla in, Gugino. No, no, no. Wow. In uh, Ouija and played the older sister in Haunting of Hill House. What's her name? Oh, you're thinking of Elizabeth Reeser. Yeah. Who played I, Cheryl? Yeah, I would go Elizabeth Reeser. I think if I'm doing strictly like Flanagan's. Okay. People, anyway. Yeah. I didn't mean to take your moment. But. No, 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 no. You're fine. So I think Kate Siegel for Wendy. I'm trying to think of the kid because my Jack is going to be surprising. Um, probably Jacob Tremblay. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, if you could like make him look as young as possible. Yeah. Um, that's hard to hard to argue. You talk about acting chops. Hey, let me tell you this one pushback on Kate Siegel. Okay. I have a hard time believing any man would intimidate her. Oh, that's true. I mean, she is. She's not like I hate to use this term, but she's not butch. She's a lovely woman. Who's right. Very feminine, but but she's got a, a bad a aura around her. Exactly. Yeah. Which I think House Haunting of Hill House really brought out. Yeah. You know for sure. Uh, so anyway, that's why I think not that Reeser is like weaker. Mm-hmm. She's just smaller and tinier. And I think in Ouija, she showed you that she can be vulnerable. She can also be dangerous. Yeah. So anyway, well, originally, I mean, in a perfect world, you know, you said Emma Stone. I would win Anna Kendrick, but I, I just don't know if Anna can like. I, no offense to Anna Kendrick, baby, don't be mad at me. Um, but I kind of feel like she would be like Shelley Duvall. Oh, okay. Because she's, I mean, she's mousy. Like she even says, you know, she's sure. mousy and stuff. So I want somebody that's got that could get that pushback. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Siegel definitely could. Yeah. So either either Jacob Tremblay for Danny or the kid. Oh man. Okay, so his name was Julian Hillard. He played Luke in Hill House. Uh Uh-huh. Young Luke. Yeah. I think he'd be pretty good at it, too. too. But my Jack... Sterling K. Brown. Oh, okay. Okay. Why did you pick Sterling K. Brown? Because I just think he's a phenomenal actor. And I think he could I think he could play that even kill like he does on This Is Us and most of the stuff you see, but I think if if pressed, I think he could go to that dark place and be terrifying. Yeah, you get you get a hint of that, I guess, in the latest Predator movie. Yeah. Where he could be really ill. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, really evil. Yeah, that'd be fun. There's also, he, he has a really fun turn in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. And um, it's at, it's right at the end of the episode, and he just explodes for about 45 seconds. And I've been like, oh, there's something there. So, and just to kind of go against the grain. Yeah. And, you know. Well, against the, uh, against the grain, another choice then, if you open it up like that, would be John Cho. Yeah. I'd love to see Cho go full dark, you know, again, because he could play the like guy you're rooting for going into homicide. All of those are good choices. I want to go visit the alternate universes where this stuff played out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I want to hear from, uh, I want to hear from you guys Uh, between the three of them. Who would you pick? Sam Rockwell, Sterling K. Brown, or John Cho? And, I mean, feel free to throw your own names in there as well. I know uh, one person said Chris Pratt. Yeah. Which I think Pratt would would do a pretty decent job at it as well. I just... Maybe, but it would be hard for me to see him going so dark. Yeah, I mean, he I don't I don't doubt he can. I just like to see it. You yeah. Know? So I'm I'm gonna stick with mine just because I really love Sam Rockwell and I, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah. I think Rockwell's probably the the best choice of, amongst the three. But uh, I'd also like to see. I mean, John Joe was a really good one too. But I'd, I'd love to see what Sterling K. Brown could do with it as well. So let us know. Uh, the best way to get at us is in the Facebook group. We saw something scary. So uh, if you haven't joined that yet, feel free to do so. Yeah. So Derek, we've got a couple questions to kind of wrap. This this one up unless cool. you got something else to add no that's it okay so let's go in reverse order this is the run up to Jordan Peele's Us okay this movie was on the list he gave to his cast to, to watch so they would understand horror the same way any suspicions about how this is going to connect to us <laughs> You know, man, I haven't even thought about it. Well, let me give you mine and you yeah. see if it prompts your thinking. I think it's it, it's sort of, you know, we talked about in uh, our, our previous lead up to Up that we were talking about doppelgangers and like reincarnation and seeing, which is obviously in the trailer for us, right? Right. In this one, I'm suspicious that this is supposed to cultivate sort of thinking about how horrifying it would be to watch someone that has 
being a caretaker mm-hmm. and someone you love and who's loved you turn on you and become a threat rather than a provider. Mm-hmm. Right. So these, you know, that's not going to happen with the parents as much here. The, the surreality is going to be a little different. They're going to see their evil alters, but those kids are going to have to come to grips with an evil mom and dad in a way that Danny had to kind of come to grips with an evil father. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's going to be my theory. Okay. But this is where they start thinking about how do you act as a character who's had to watch the evil version of his dad show up, the evil version of his mom show up. Okay. I like that theory. All right. I say we go with that. We're going with that. Um, did we see something scary? Yeah. Anything you want to highlight? I think the door scene is the the biggest thing for me when, you know, he's chopping down the door. You know, that's uh, that's when Jack's at a 10 and Shelly devolves at like four and a half. And I'm just playing. That's not right. Um, but, I mean, seriously, everyone's at a 10. You're, you know, I remember watching that movie for the first time and when that and knowing that that was the scene. And when that scene came up, I remember my my fingernails were digging into my chair because my it was just so tense and, you know, and tensions were high. And so, uh, for me, I think that's, that's the biggest one. Well, there's a reason that's the iconic, not just scene from this movie, but like one of the greatest scenes of all time, right? That's a good choice. I'm going to go with her rifling through the the stacks of paper that say, yeah, all uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. But there's some others. I, I don't know why, but the image of the elevator doors filling with blood and spilling out, that is one that just makes me feel a sense of eeriness. And then the... Um, the attack on, I can't remember, I, I'm so sad I can't remember his name, but you know the cook who sort of mentors Danny? Yeah, you got the shining, boy. When he shows back up and he gets hit with the axe out of nowhere, because mm-hmm. you're kind of like, oh, is the cavalry here? Yeah. And all of a sudden he's laying with a huge wound in his chest. I thought that was pretty jolting. Yeah. So uh, I don't think this is the scariest movie ever. No. But I get why it was such a phenomenon, not just for acting, but for horror movies. Yeah. And I definitely think we saw something scary. But again, you got to think about this, too. This was 1980, right? Like, I think we've, we've said that about several of the movies from the past. Like, this this was before advancements were made in horror. Sure. So, in 1980, I'm sure this is one of the scariest movies of all time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's in the proximity, I guess, of The Exorcist. Yeah. But, I mean, those are the two high watermarks for the era, you right. know, so. Um, scale of one to ten. I'm going to say seven and a half. Okay. Uh, I feel like that sometimes this movie is is treated with somewhat kid gloves, uh-huh. and because you know it's it was considered a masterpiece and stuff, people tend to overrate it. Um, I don't think it ever. Any time I've ever seen it, I don't think it lived up to those expectations for me. Okay, but it's still a great movie, and it's obviously anchored by a phenomenal performance by Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, I don't think it's like a nine or a ten, like I know most people you know that I've I've read would say, but I would say seven and a half. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna put my kid gloves on and get ready to overrate. I think this is a nine. Okay. And I would almost go nine and a half. I just think Duvall is kind of a weak link. But I mean, really, other than that, I mean, I think we had fun recasting it. Sure. And we can imagine how you would bring it to the screen. But I can't really criticize anything in this movie other than her performance. And it may just be that my criticism of her performance is because she's in a she's in a uh, you know a cosmos of bright shining stars, right. and she just glows a little bit more dimly. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go nine on this one. Yeah. And also, I think uh, it's it's been a topic of discussion in our Facebook group, too, where people have, have talked about it being overrated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're wrong. There you go. I think uh, Allison and Jody, if I'm not mistaken, were two of the people that, that thought it was overrated. Sorry, guys. I love you all and respect your opinions. You're just wrong on this one. So there you go. <laughs> so, all right. Did you need more cats? Would, it, would, would more <laughs> cats put it over? <laughs> oh.
Well, that's it. That's all. That's all the time we have for this week. Folks. We can go back and get some deleted scenes of snow leopards like crawling around during the, during the mountain shots. Let's go ahead and turn this microphone off. <laughs> the show's not going to get any better than that. <laughs> all right, I love y'all. I love y'all. I just think this is. I really do think this movie is sort of. It's one that lives up to the hype for me. I know it doesn't for you, and obviously not for for these people in our group that we've come to uh, know and respect. But um, yeah, I, I really am a fan of this one. I enjoy every time I watch it. All right, so there you go. Uh, I will say this: uh, I hadn't watched it in several years before watching it. You know, watching it to prepare for this, and and I really did enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, probably more than I did the first time. So okay, well, we'll revisit again in forty years <laughs> in nursing home and see what it, <laughs> see what we think then. Did you see something scary? Oh. That's a good answer, yes. <laughs> All right, so we'll put a bow on The Shining. 